0: Thanks so much for listening to the weekly teaching podcast from Prodigal Church. We're so glad you're connecting with us online. If you've been listening for a while or you consider Prodigal as your home church, would you consider giving monthly to support this ministry? We're so grateful for the increasing impact our church is having on our online listeners. Thanks for being a part of us. You can discover all things Prodigal on the Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store or on our website, ProdigalChurchFresno.com Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I have spoken much too soon Put my hand over my mouth I can't contend with you Your ways are so much higher when we pass through the fire that Christ endured before us when you were in the wilderness. When you go to Google and you type in the words the Ten Commandments of dot dot dot, you are given over 14 million websites in less than a second. And not only is there a lot of websites on the Ten Commandments, but also there is the Ten Commandments of everything, right? There's the Ten Commandments of dating, the Ten Commandments of Hinduism, the Ten Commandments of driving a car, the Ten Commandments of baseball, the Ten Commandments of underwater basket weaving. There is the Ten Commandments for everything. And these Ten Commands, or in Hebrew, these Ten Words, have certainly made an impact on our world. Moses holding the Ten Commandments is also in the courtroom of the Supreme Court of the United States. Now with the possible exception of some of the stories in Genesis or Psalm 23, the Ten Commandments may be the most famous passage in all of the Old Testament. These verses have been read, pondered, memorized almost more than any other. Even just in a random scenario with a stranger on the street, if you asked him about the Ten Commandments, they would probably be able to rattle off one or two. Thou shalt not steal, thou, sh- thou shalt not murder. Uh, the average person who knows a little bit about them. And today we're going to look at these Ten Commandments. We're going to see how they shaped the people of God, the people of Israel, uh, 3,500 years ago. And we're going to see how they still can and do shape us today. And the story is found in Exodus 20 after the people have been consecrated at the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and here the Lord gives his law, his Torah. And the giving of the law is what happens throughout the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The giving of this law is a monumental thing for the people of God. You see, in the ancient world, you kind of had to guess what the gods were like and what they demanded of you, okay? If it didn't rain or if your child was sick, you must have done something wrong. So you had to come up with the right kind of sacrifice to appease the gods. You had no idea, it was all trial and error. But here in Exodus chapter 20, we see that Yahweh uh, gives the people of God his name and his law. He tells the people how they should live. And it takes out the anxiety and the angst of following the gods in the ancient world, this was radically different than all of the cultures and peoples that were surrounding Israel of the time. And notice, Yahweh has already saved them. Keeping the law was not and is not the prerequisite for God's saving acts. God has already brought them out of Egypt. He already gave them the law. He's not standing at the border, right? Like he doesn't have Moses stand at the border of Egypt and say, hey guys, I can get you guys out of here. Just sign on the dotted line, do these 10 things and then I'll free you from Egypt, go. No, 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 Uh, that's not the case at all. They're already free and the laws are a way to show them how to live in that freedom as the people of God. And the same is true for us. Doing the right things, doing good works, isn't meant to earn your salvation, to earn God's favor in your life. No, it's instead meant to shape the way that we live as a grateful response to the salvation we have in Jesus. We don't do good so that God loves us. No, God loves us and so we do good. We must keep in mind at the outset here, the Ten Commandments, is it's not a, near, a mere list of laws in the abstract. It is given by God to a people that he has just redeemed, and they reflect the manner in which his people are to be holy. These laws are more than simply good rules to live by. Uh, author and theologian Pete N. says it this way, They show us something of the nature of God, and for this they deserve our close attention. We see in them not simply what we must do, but what God is like, yes. And here in the infancy of the people of God, in the desert, God is showing them, beginning to show them what he is like, what holiness looks like. And later on in the law, Moses is instructed to place these stone tablets or these 10 words in the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God. And this was to be something that the people of God would never forget. They were never to forget these Ten Commandments. During the days of the gold rush, a young man and his bride set out across the country to make their fortunes. Somewhere along the way, they drank some contaminated water and the young bride became ill and unfortunately passed away before they could reach Fort Kearney, Nebraska. Heartbroken, the young man took her body to the highest hill, buried it, and using the wagon to make the coffin. He drove down some wooden stakes to mark the grave, thinking that he would go west and then later return. But the more he thought about it, the more he was certain that he could not go on. He could not keep going. He said to himself, I will forget where this is. I will never remember it. So he retraced his steps all the way to St. Louis, Missouri. He found a stone cutter and had him prepare a tombstone engraved with the name Susan Hale, along with the date of her birth and death. He tried vainly to get someone to haul it back for him, but all the wagons going west were just overloaded. No one would help him. So finally he bought a wheelbarrow. He put the stone in it and he walked those weary miles all the way back towards Fort Kearney, Nebraska and set up the stone on her grave. It's a tender story. The man knew that there was something he was to never forget. He was at this sacred spot on the earth. And he always must remember where it was. And thus it is with Mount Sinai and the 10 Commandments. They, they have been set up for us that we will never forget the importance of some things, of someone. We keep coming back to them. They speak to us about eternal values and about the eternal God. And so are you ready to read them? The story is found in Exodus chapter 20, and let's begin at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. And this morning in week three of our Into the Wilderness sermon series, we certainly don't have time to do an in-depth study on each of these commandments, but we will be doing a drive-by and then focusing in on the one that I think is the most misunderstood. Okay, commandment one, here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. This literally means you shall have no other gods in my face, no other gods in my presence because uh, all the false gods stand in opposition to the true God. And worshiping them is incompatible with the worshiping of Yahweh. This is a lesson that the people of God need to learn again and again and again throughout their history. And notice that there is no statement saying that there is no such thing as other gods. It's it's as if God is acquiescing to to, to to the fact that Israel thinks that there's other gods and it was just too much for them to understand that there's only one. And so God is saying, I'm the greatest, only worship me. See, they had just spent 400 years in Egypt where there's a God for just about everything. Every nation had their own God. But here in the first command, we see God meeting them where they are. He says, have no one above me. I'm the greatest of all the gods. Most scholars believe that Israel's revelation of there being only one God, this creation of, of monotheism, doesn't show up until roughly 8th century BC in the 8th century prophets. And that's 700, 800 years after the Exodus. Okay, commandment two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. We won't spend too much time on this one because Israel is going to break this commandment with the golden calf later on in the book of Exodus and we're gonna get there. Commandment three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And here it is that we come to uh, what I believe is the most misunderstood commandment. And it is here that we'll spend most of our time, so we'll defer till the end. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is the first of only two positive commands. The others, thou shall not, you shall not, but here it is, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And with this command, it is remember the Sabbath. It's not merely a cognitive exercise, uh, any more than remembering your anniversary, right? Uh, Remembering means response, right? A concrete demonstration of your remembrance is to be expected, as any husband can attest. To remember is to act. Now, tradition holds that Commandments one through four deal with our relationship with God, and Commandments five through 10 deal with our relationship with one another. It is said that the two tablets of stone that these were chiseled on didn't have five commandments on one and five commandments on the other, but rather the first four on one side and the latter six on the other. Commandment five, this is the second of the positive ones. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's not saying do this and nothing bad will happen to your health so that you live for a long time. No, it's saying that if a son supports his parents as they grow old and thereby extends their life, extends their lifetimes, He can reasonably expect to receive a similar benefit in his twilight years. His children will see the example that their father set and they will ensure that he too lives a long life because children will remember what their dad did. So this is not primarily concerned with kids and teenagers honoring their parents, though that's implied and that's how we often quote it. It's concerned with taking care of your family when they can't take care of themselves. Commandments six through 10, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet. These are straightforward commands that have helped create just societies for thousands of years. Many years ago, Norman Rockwell, on the cover of a Saturday Evening Post, uh, painted a woman buying a turkey for Thanksgiving. And the turkey is lying on the scales, and the butcher is standing behind the counter, apron pulled tight to, uh, on his fat stomach, and a pencil tucked behind his ear. And the customer, a lovely lady, about 60, uh, is watching the weigh-in. And each of them is pleased. Um, and there's, they've got this look on their face that shows that there's a secret joke happening. And there's nothing particularly unusual about the butcher and the customer watching the scales and seeing how much this bird weighs. But the expression on their face indicates that there is something else going on here. Something unusual. And Rockwell lets us in on the joke by pointing to their hands. The butcher is pushing down on the scales so the bird weighs more while the woman is pushing up on the scales so that it weighs less. Neither is aware of what the other is doing. Both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. People who steal. The lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be indignant if anyone ever accused him of of stealing. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception to make a few extra cents on one or to save a few extra cents on the other. Rockwell gives us a picture of how we seek to live, trying to manipulate life for our own advantage we often break these commandments. And that's what the Ten Commandments is about, right? They remind us that there are laws in the universe by which we must live if we are to live a flourishing life. And the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ups the ante. He says, you have heard it was said, don't murder. I tell you, if you you are angry with someone else, you've already murdered them in your heart. He says the same with lust. Don't commit adultery, but if you think of a woman lustfully, then you've already committed adultery. See, Jesus ups the ante on the Sermon on the Mount. That it's not just about our actions, it is about our thoughts. It is about how we view people, not just what we do to people. And now, the third commandment. The most misunderstood says this, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now that's the NIV, the New International Version translation of the Bible. Most of us are probably pretty familiar with the King James Version of this passage. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Have you ever been around someone uh, whenever the Lord's name was said in vain and they went crazy, right? Perhaps you were the person that said it. You said GD or you said Jesus Christ, uh, and someone around you just went off on you. You just broke the third commandment. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And you're like, jeesh, I'm sorry. It was an accident. They're like, Never again. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I remember moments where this has happened to me throughout my life. Is that really what this commandment is saying? God, people of God are consecrated. They've just been freed from 400 years in slavery in Egypt and God in their infancy is trying to teach them about himself and they're becoming the people of God to be this light to all the nations. And he comes out with 10 commandments and he's saying, hey, don't cuss with my name in it. Is that what he's saying? Maybe, maybe. Let's look at what the Hebrew words mean in this passage. Okay, the first one is Take. Take, do not take the Lord's name in vain, or in the NIV, misuse. It's the word Nassah, and it means to lift, to bear up, to carry, or to take. Another passage in Exodus, just the chapter before, uses the same Hebrew verb. Right here in 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried Nassau, you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Notice, none of the definitions here refer to speech or to saying the Lord's name in vain, but rather to carry or to bear or to take the Lord's name in vain. And in the ancient world, your name was your character. It was your essence. It was who you are. It was the deepest parts of who you were. So it's saying don't carry, don't bear God's character on you in vain. What does in vain mean? It's the Hebrew word shav. It means emptiness, vanity, falsehood. It's not, don't speak his name in vain. It's don't bear his name in vain. Don't, 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 don't use it in an empty way. Did you say bless you? Did you say God bless you in that moment? Did you really mean it? When you said God bless you, did you did you mean it? Did you really pray in that moment that God would bless me or did you use God's name in vain? Did you use it in an empty way? Did you say it and not really mean it? Now, I'm being a bit cheeky here, but there are other ways that we bear the Lord's name in emptiness beyond swearing, right? I was a youth pastor for 11 years. I can't tell you how many students would use God to break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, right? They would say, well, it's just not the, it's not the season that the Lord wants me in right now. And so um, it's, it's not you, it's, it's not me, it's God. It's not God's timing. God said, you're not my person. Did God say it or does it just serve our agenda? They're breaking the third commandment. They're using the name of the Lord in a frivolous or empty way. God told me to do this. Well, maybe God didn't say that, but I'm using it to make me feel better about myself or to gain power in a situation. I think we should be pretty careful when we say God said something, when it very well may have been you and not God. God still speaks, certainly, but I think a more honest approach would be to say, I feel like God is leading me in this direction. There's wiggle room there. There's there's room for us to be wrong. I think God might be saying to me this. Yes, there may be some truth in that. Oftentimes, religious people like to attach God's name to decisions or to policies or to candidates that God had nothing to do with. And that's also taking the Lord's name in vain. Sometimes the culture that we're swimming in blinds us so that we cannot see that we are bearing the name of God in a frivolous or empty way. Have you noticed this as well? It kills our witness. We begin to attribute to God things that God would never attribute to himself. And in so doing, we are bearing or carrying or taking the Lord's character or name in vain, shallow, in an empty way, a frivolous way. Jonathan Edwards. Uh, one of the greatest preachers of the last 500 years. M- he wrote multiple works on theology. His sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was kind of the birth of this turner Burn fire and brimstone style of preaching that has brought life change to millions across the world. It, it is often credited to his preaching to be one of the, the great first keys of the great- first great awakening here in the United States. George Whitefield would go town to town uh, preaching the gospel, preaching the name of Jesus, like Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Whitefield's preaching was so powerful that Benjamin Franklin is said to have followed Whitefield around to preach the same exact sermon again and again and again, just listening, hearing the same one over and over. It is estimated that a crazy amount of percentages of the United States heard Whitefield and Edwards' preaching and came to saving faith because of it. The first great awakening largely stems from the preaching and teaching of both Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield. We would call them spiritual giants, and yet they both owned slaves. How does that happen? It happens because we get so used to our culture that sometimes will put the name of Jesus on something or someone, even if it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. When we weaponize scripture and we misuse it to condemn and condone the mistreatment of people made in the image of God, then we bear the name of the Lord in vain. To stub my toe and yell Jesus Christ is not something that I would do But to limit the third commandment of God to cussing with the name of Jesus in it or to limit it to something that we might say on accident after I stepped on a Lego is a distortion of the commandment's intent. It is so much more than that, amen? I might criticize someone who says Jesus after stubbing their toe and yet they stub their toe while serving God and bearing the name of God well. On a Sunday morning, someone's pushing one of our carts and they stub their toe and they yell Jesus Christ. And I laugh at them and I point at them and I'm laughing and I'm gossiping. Which one of us is carrying the name of the Lord well? The third commandment, put another way, is don't represent the Lord your God in a way that is empty. Don't take the name of Yahweh and make it empty or have no value. Don't walk around with the character of God and act like it doesn't weigh anything. If you're going to say that I follow the Lord, you better take following the Lord seriously. And that is the heart of the third commandment that God is telling his people of God at the base of Mount Sinai before they enter the promised land. The people of God are to bear the name of God to the nations. That is, is that, that they are to represent him by how they live. And that is the call of the church. You, me, prodigal, we are to carry, to bear, to take the character of God and live it in a true and beautiful way. It is not to be something frivolous. It is not to be something done out of our back pocket or to the side. No, we put our very lives and souls into this to bear the name of this great and holy and majestic and loving and graceful God to the nations. That is our call. The same call of the people of God in Exodus 19 and 20, where they're called to be a priesthood to all nations. The apostle Peter says the same thing to us as the church, that we are to be a priesthood for all. We're to be the, the priesthood of all believers that we are to be holy unto the Lord as it shows again and again throughout the law of God. We bear the name of Jesus well in our homes. We bear the name of Jesus well in our communities. We bear the name of Jesus well in our places of work. And we bear the name of Jesus well in our world. God, help us not to take thy name in vain and help us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Into the Wilderness Sermon Series, and we will be outdoors at Fort Washington Elementary School Courtyard at 10 a.m. And this is the last outdoor service we're going to have there because on Sunday, June 13th, we're going to be back indoors together at the Bullard High School Performing Arts Theater and we cannot wait. If you are watching this before uh, 10 a.m., there's still time to come to our in-person service at Fort Washington. We have our church picnic and PC Kids Fun Run and we've got a taco truck. So come on out. It's going to be a great time. We can't wait to see you soon. Peace the Middle East.